And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 219, aka season 3, episode 39. Uh, coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, uh, alone. Uh, MC is in Mongolia, of all places, uh, t- doing something for liberty. I think there's another conference over there that he attended, um, and he's enjoying Mongolia, but I'm here uh, by myself this week, so that gets you guys Another rousing edition of Richie Rich Reads the News. Uh, Before we get into that, the other things that are coming up um, next weekend, uh, I will be at Fork Fest alone. Um, So we're we're putting the show on hiatus. And the following weekend, I may be at Pork Fest uh, alone. And when I say alone, I just mean like without MC. Um, But, you know, there's going to be plenty to do and plenty of fun to have. So it could be a substantial break in between shows, which is why I wanted to get some content out uh, this week, just to just if for nothing more than to make that announcement, uh, because it's going to be a while bef- before you hear this lovely voice uh, in the podcast sphere again. Um, but I'm going to try to you know maintain um, you know my my spot on Free Talk Live both uh, this weekend. So listen to that show on the ninth. Um, and also I might sit in for a little bit while they're doing some recordings from Forkfest, uh, and then hopefully be back in town in time uh, the weekend of Porkfest, uh, to make it out into the studio for that. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, that's, uh, all the news that is the news from a show perspective, um, just, uh, inside baseball, if you will. But now we can get to Richie Rich reads the news. And as we get into these headlines, um, there wasn't a lot going on this week, um, so I was, you know, leaning on uh, for a little bit, I, you know, of, of having MC in studio, and that didn't happen. So I went and pulled some of the older articles that we did not have a chance to get to, uh, that I thought was important then, but, you know, I just, I do this on a weekly basis, um, so I try not to reuse too much. Uh, but this is going to be the reuse-a-thon uh, for a lot of the uh, articles that we're discussing today. But let's get into it. Uh, headline! The GoFundMe border wall is finished, and it's not stopping migrants from coming in. Uh, headline, utilitarians? Uh, headline, flimsy justification to restrict your freedom. Headline, don't forget the Galt's Gulch tactic. Uh, shrug off the government. Uh, headline, why 15% interest cap on loans would hurt the people it's intended to help. Headline, mass shooting delusions. Headline, why a free society can't transform wishes into rights. Headline, let them pump gas. Uh, Headline, dozens of New York City ice cream trucks seized over multi-million dollar ticket scam. And finally, headline, Sagrada Familia gets licensed 137 years after building started. Uh, And I kind of line these up uh, in the order that I want to cover them. So let's just start from the beginning again. The GoFundMe border wall is finished and it's not stopping migrants from coming in. Fernando Antiveros supported building a wall on the southern border, but just days after he heard that one was being constructed on private land a few miles away, he saw a group of migrants being detained in his own neighborhood. I don't think it's working, he said about the new crowdfunding effort to build a wall at the U.S.-Mexico border. It's not uncommon to see immigrants stopped by border patrol agents in this small border city, which sits so close to the Mexico border that most of its 14,000 residents live on a spot of land south of the Rio Grande. But it has been years since Ontiveros had seen border patrol agents detaining immigrants in his neighborhood. 
We build the wall. We raised, uh, we build the wall, raised more than $20 million in a viral GoFundMe effort earlier this year to build a border wall that, according to the group, would curb illegal immigration, deter drug smuggling, and deal a blow to human trafficking. We pl- we plugged the hole of the worst smuggling routes on the entire border, Brian Culfidge, a decorated Iraq war veteran and founder of We Build the Wall, declared on Twitter, we cut them off. But days after the half-mile private barrier was erected, groups of people continue to stream over the border and into the New Mexico City. Dozens, sometimes hundreds of people have been apprehended within view of the newly built wall and residents are worried the barrier has only redirected migrants to other parts of town, creating new problems and possibly making matters worse. The only thing the new wall has done, Ontivero said, was toss his quiet hometown into the middle of a national political fight. It's a bunch of bullshit, he said. While people continue to cross the border, some simply walking around the new wall, construction crews, news, uh, excuse me, construction workers, news crews, and politicians who have descended upon the small desert town will soon depart, leaving residents like him to deal with the unforeseen consequences, he said. It is always the case where you have outsiders coming in thinking they have a solution, Javier Pereira said, uh, mayor of Sunland Park told Bud buzzfeed news building the wall won't change the source of the problem city officials were caught off guard by news of the wall's construction chris kobach the former kansas secretary of state and board member of we build the wall announced on fox news that construction had started on memorial day the next day the city of sunland park issued a stop work order to the group declaring the project in violation of city ordinances Colfidge claimed simultaneously on social media that the project was in compliance and that the organization had purposefully started construction during the three-day weekend when the corrupt city was in part was partying over the holiday. It was a face-off the city would lose. We didn't ask for the national spotlight, Perea said. It did catch everyone by surprise, and when you have low resources, it's hard to respond. Now city officials are keeping an eye on how the new stretch of wall affects border crossings, but so far little seems to be changing. Late Friday night, three men and two women, all carrying children or holding their hands, approached a BuzzFeed news reporter and photographer immediately across the Rio Grande, where the half-mile stretch of wall was being completed. Where is the entrance to the United States, they asked in Spanish, telling BuzzFeed news that they had traveled on foot from Guatemala. Where, we, where do we turn ourselves in? There were no border agents nearby. The group walked about a block before they were stopped by an agent with the International Boundary and Water Commission, the agency that addresses waterway issues between U.S. and Mexico. Within minutes, the group had grown to more than 50 people from Honduras and Guatemala, and Border Patrol agents soon arrived. After an hour, the group had swelled to 80 people. This is every night, man, every night, said the IBWC agent who asked not to be identified because he wasn't authorized to speak to the media. I was supposed to get off at midnight. According to U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, the El Paso sector has seen major increases in apprehension, including more than 13,000 unaccompanied minors in fiscal year 2019. During the same time period, the sector has seen more than 104,000 family unit detentions. The IBWC agent said he's already seen people carving new paths around the private border wall. Some are willing to cross through the river, a potentially dangerous endeavor when waters begin to rise. Others are making the trek with children in hand across the, a higher, steeper hill nearby. 
The following night, another group of 54 people were stopped at the same location, a stone's throw away from the base of the crowd-funded wall. It took nearly an hour for Border Patrol officials to arrive with enough vans to transport the group to a detention center. A wall constructed during the Bush administration already runs along most of the border near Sunland Park, except for a stretch of tall, steep hills that jut out in the eastern part of the city. It's a mostly industrial area where asylum seekers have often emerged in the city in search of Border Patrol agents so they can turn themselves in. With the private wall cutting off access to a half-mile stretch of those hills, leaving only the steeper, more treacherous part open, residents are concerned that migrants will begin crossing in other parts of the city toward the west and into neighborhoods. What it will do is will funnel migrants to many different parts, Perea said. I don't know where. The purpose of the construction, Jorge Alanis said, doesn't seem to be erecting a border wall. I think it's a lot of political theater, the 44-year-old El Paso resident said. They're trying to get a point across. Alanis used to live in Sunland Park, where he and his siblings would sometimes jump in the river to play, often with kids from Ciudad Juarez. Uh, he still remembers where there was no border wall and residents of Juarez and Sunland Park would travel back and forth between towns for groceries and family visits. He understands the worries of residents, he said, who sometimes see strangers walking the streets and become worried for their own safety. They travel thousands of miles by foot, so they'll do whatever it takes, Alanis said. I also understand these people are desperate. They're hungry, and they're trying to survive. In a, it's a sentiment echoing by Luis, uh, Jose Luis Uniga, who runs a food and truck in town and often works late. Only someone who is out, like me, at one or two in the morning knows what's going on, he said. Uh, Uniga, Uniga was born in Juarez, but has lived in Sunland Park for 25 years. He was lucky, he said. After crossing without papers in the U.S., he benefited from President Ronald Reagan's immigration amnesty in 1986. He said he feels for people who, as he once did, crossed the border illegally to escape violence or poverty in their countries. But when asked if he supports building a border wall, he, he looked away as if a bit embarrassed by his answer. I'm going to tell you, I'm not really against it, Uniga said. This country has given me my children. It's given me a way to make a living to eat. Everything that Mexico didn't give me. He knows that sentiment that aligns him with the backers of Donald Trump, of whom he does not consider himself a supporter. There are other supporters of the wall as well, even if it's not effective in shutting down the border supporters tout the significance behind it and the fact that private donations helped pay for it. Art Richards, who worked in the real estate in El Paso, was out on Saturday with his wife wearing a red Make America Great Again hat and waving a pro-chump signs of cars passing by. Right now it's about awareness and widening our party, he said. The wall and the president's rally in El Paso in February, he said, are helping to recruit Republicans to what has been a historically blue city. As he talks to reporters, few cars whiz by, honking their horns in support. One maroon car slows down and two middle fingers emerge from the sunroof. The wall, he said, makes a point about the country's stance. This is a sovereign nation, Richard said. If we don't do something to stop the onslaught of people coming in, it won't be a sovereign nation. It's that rhetoric, however, that has befuddled some town residents, including those who support a border wall. Alanis, who grew up in the area surrounded by three cities, two state lines, and one international border, used to view it as one big community. Regardless of what they build, they're still coming in, he said. This is just political crap. Perea, the mayor, said the issue of immigration was nothing new for the city. Migrants, even those quickly stopped by border officials, have long been a normal part of life in the Sunland Park. The wall has been there, and we've had a wall since the Bush administration, he said. We just don't see it anymore. 
uh, end of the article. So I don't think anything in this article should come as a surprise to <laughs> anyone paying attention, uh, except the part of where they, they come and they turn themselves in. Like, I, I wish there was more of an explanation for that, because I don't, under, I don't understand what that's all. They come all the way. They get over the, the, you know, the magical line in the sand, and they go like, okay, arrest us now. Like, you know, where they, where they, is it so they can get like food and shelter at one of the detention facilities and then hopefully, um, you know, dropped off in, in some sanctuary city somewhere without having to, you know, without actually being deported. Like, I don't know what the point of that was. You travel thousands of miles from Honduras, Guatemala, uh, just to turn yourself in, uh, upon entering, <laughs> entering the goal, right? Like you cross the finish line and you're like, all right, send us back. You know, we're going to try to beat our time the next run through, uh, Aside from that, again, what, what's what's the surprise? You know, it, I'm I'm a little torn. Um, torn may be a strong word. I'm a little I I am yeah maybe I, I'm torn only because it's it's a private wall on supposedly private property, which you know, th- it's the only um, it's the only aspect of the libertarian argument for borders that makes sense. Um, and yet, it, the the extrapolation to what libertarians for border walls uh, contend is where they lose me, right? Like, you know, uh, property lines, fine. Um, security walls along your property, fine. Um, public property doesn't exist, and therefore you can't, you know, wrap the entire United States uh, up in a wall simply because it's, you know, it, it belongs to everybody, right? That's That's the nonsense question there. Um, but who, I mean, who, uh, aside from it being political theater, who thought that this would be effective? Like, were they, were they building the wall going like, this'll show them, you know, they got a, they got a half a mile built and I'm not, I'm not an athletic person, uh, anymore, but I can walk a half a mile. I can walk a half an hour, half a mile and probably, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Right. And, and looking at the, the pictures, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an incline. So maybe closer to the 15 minute mark, uh, unless you, unless you walk downhill, right. And then, <laughs> then it's a lot easier to, to get around this, you know, this monstrosity. Uh, but so, so you, you know, you get to, you get to this part of wherever you're trekking from, from on foot from Honduras, Guatemala, and you go like, no, you get to another like 15 minutes that way. All right, all right, so you go 15 minutes that way, unless, you know, like they said, unless it's like a choke point for border agents, and then like at each end of the wall, right, there's, you know, there's border agents uh, waiting to arrest people. I don't see, <laughs> I don't I don't see how this is effective at all. You just, you go one way or the other, and then you go around, and if you have to go further down, because there's border agents at each end, um, then you just, you just go further down, right, like, you know. Up the mountain, down the mountain, or around the wall, or, you know, uh, into the river and out of the river, you know, just cross where it's safe and cross where you're comfortable. Um, and if it, if it turns out that you have to go like a few miles down the road uh, to, to get across, then so be it. Like this, <laughs> this, does, <laughs> this really doesn't seem to do anything for me. Um, kind of reminds me of when I was, when I almost didn't get a passport. Like I have a passport for uh, other reasons than to have a passport. Um, it's cause I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but at one point in time I was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not getting a passport. Um, but I will make it wherever you guys are going that requires a passport to get there. Um, I will meet you there. Just like, again, this is what I said. It's not like pick me up a half a mile down the road, right? Cause where, wherever you cross, I'll just go a little bit further down the line and cross there. 
right? And this is this has been covered before, um, even in the United States, where you go like, well, what if it's what if, you know? What if you're like traveling to an island, right? How how are you gonna get, how are you gonna cross that border? You know, you can't just walk across. And until you find out again that you know most uh, the aside from Mexico, the the demographic of the most illegal immigrants in the United States comes from China. So aside from Mexico, who have this like easy little boop right across the border, right? They they, they come across the entire ocean uh, to to get into the landmass, uh, the political landmass commonly referred to as the United States of America, and they get in just fine, right? There's enough of them here where you go like, well, that might be a problem later on. Um, and, and so I've, I've never been concerned about, you know, being, being stopped at a border. Um, if my goal was to get through, if my goal was to get across, um, and get somewhere into that other continent, um, I am pretty confident that, you know, if, if, if people from Honduras can walk a thousand miles and figure it out, uh, right. That, that my, uh, privilege will allow me, uh, some benefit that allows me to figure it out faster and easier than that. Right. Reg- regardless of where we're headed. Right. If it, you know, if it's another uh, country or continent or island, whatever, whatever it happens to be. Right. Just get somewhere close and then find a way in. Right. If it's an island thing might take a little bit longer. Right. I might not be able to hop on the next plane um, and get there, uh, but you can better believe that I'm going to find a way to get on a boat. Right. And get there by boat. Uh, and then as I get close, like there's, you know, most most island nations, I would assume, um, don't have guards uh, lined up along the beach to stop illegal boats from coming ashore. Uh, so I'll just I'll just get there by boat and then hop off, you know, park the boat in the sand, and drag it up and then like just walk on. Right. Like the <laughs> it sounds ridiculous and it's meant to, but also true. Right. If, if there's if there's a way to get there, you just you find the alternative way to get there. And all of a sudden you're there and it, it doesn't need it doesn't need to be uh, any more difficult than that. And putting up half a mile, half a mile. Like what, what is that? Like, you know, like it's a 10, 15, 20 minute walk, um, you know, blocking to funnel it into somewhere else. Right. Like, uh, you know, it's basically like not on, not on our property, you know, you deal with it kind of a thing. And if that's the reason, uh, by all means, please let that be the reason. If they're just saying like, you know, this is private land, we're building a wall, um, because we don't want them crossing here. Um, I, I, you know, more power to you for doing that. I don't think, I still don't think you're a good person necessarily. Um, because the, the mindset behind the wall is a different justification than, you know, putting up a fence, uh, along your property line or a wall or, you know, locking the doors to your house. Like that's a, com- that's a completely different situation and completely different scenario. Um, and when people conflate the two, um, it boggles the mind how they can consider themselves to have any intellectual integrity, uh, whatsoever. So I don't even want to go there. Um, but again, like what's the, what's the surprise? You know, they, they, they cross somewhere else, you know, they move on down the line. Um, and even though it's privately funded, it doesn't seem to be working. Like, unless this was, unless this was like a trolling effort to say like, look, you know, we've, we've collected like, you know, if the, if the, uh, border wall foundation, whatever this company that built it is right. Unless they were like hardcore trolls where I mean like, we're going to get these Trump people to pay for a wall and then we're going to build it just to show them how stupid it is and how it doesn't work, right? <laughs> which would be epic. Um, but unless that's the case, like what a, 
fucking waste of money all the way around. What a waste of time, energy, and effort. Um, what a waste for the people who donated, right? Imagine if you donated to pay for part of this wall and you, you pay for the wall, they build the wall. They're like, all right, we have enough for half a mile. However much, you know, millions of dollars for half a mile. And they go like, oh yeah, yeah, they used to cross here and now they cross like a quarter mile that way, right? Cause it's half a mile either way from where, from the middle point, they, they just, they crossed like, you know, five minutes, five minutes that way. They just they cross over there. Like imagine how you, how would you feel if like that's the way your money was being spent by a private corporation or not by a private charity uh, or not by a private landowner or not. Imagine if that's the way that they were using your, your fucking money uh, was, was to build this nonsense uh, just to show you uh, what a stupid idea it is and how it doesn't work. So, um, you know, uh, it, uh, people who want to cross borders will cross borders. I guess <laughs> this is the moral of this tale, uh, regardless of what you, what obstacle you put up in their path. Uh, and to think that they're not is stupid and to wish them to not is stupid. Uh, and any excuse that you can think to keep people out, um, of your country of America, uh, is probably stupid too. And if the only reason that you want to keep them out, um, is is political right that is that is you know they're gonna vote democrat and take over our country um well then you know i that's a problem with your political process uh and you might want to scrap that too right like uh, if you hadn't noticed this is the anarchist experience uh and i don't i don't believe in politics uh at all um you know i i, I see how it works in some situations because i'm not naive uh, but it's not my personal choice of methods, right? So if you're, if you're worried, if you're a border wall building, uh, warrior, uh, that they're going to come in and vote Democrat and take away your rights, well, scrap the political process, right? Don't, don't put a system in place, a system of power in place that can be, uh, usurped, corrupted, or taken over by your enemies, just get rid of that and then you don't have to worry about it then then there's nothing for them to come in take over and control they have to uh they, they'll they'll have to get jobs work provide for their families um you know support local businesses because they got to eat feed and you know clothe themselves as well uh and just let that be the end of it like you know there's there's nothing aside from the political designation of which they uh were born right and what sort of happenstance that is there's nothing necessarily that separates them from the rest of American society. Uh, and if you, if you want to play like the culture card, who cares? Who cares if they fly a Mexican flag and they're proud to be Mexican and they speak Spanish? Like, what, what does that have to do with it? How is that destroying America uh, as long as they're working hard, shopping, you know, buying local? Even if that's your thing, I, I, that's not even my thing. But if you know they they have to support the economy somewhere, um, you know there, there's there's no getting around that. No matter where they are from or what they're doing, they you know like I said, they got to eat, they got to they have to have some place to live uh, or stay or shelter, um, and after they, they have to clothe themselves. I mean, I they, I mean, have to is a strong word, I guess, but they you know it's it's there. They could be homeless. Um, and then who cares? Again, who cares? If you don't have a welfare state in place, who cares? You know, if, if everything's privatized, that's a whole nother story. Um, but as long as we're going to have like, you know, public lands and, you know, public access, um, why does it bother you as long as you're able to keep them off of your private property and they're not interfering with your business? And if you're, again, one of those people says, well, they're criminals and they're coming over here to break the law. 
you already have criminals. That's why this is you know the the most populated jail system on the planet uh, is because you already have criminals here. Uh, there, we already have a a system in place uh, to deal with criminals. Um, and again, if you say, well, if you take down, if you tear down the government infrastructure, uh, there won't be any way to to uh, prosecute and house criminals. You're wrong. Uh, you know, there, there will be, uh, and it'll, it, and in the beginning, it'll probably look very similar to the one you have now, right? It'll probably, it, it's too easy to just copy that model now and then experiment later. So if they, if they're coming over here and violating rights and breaking the rules of the private property owners, uh, we already have ways to deal with that. And so, so, so that shouldn't concern you either. Like there is no, uh, aside from fear, right. And, and fear, fear of those people, um, taking over the political system, uh, of which should be torn down anyway. Um, there's, there's no, there's no rational, logical reason to be concerned, uh, that the, the, the person serving you, um, you know, it would supermarket restaurant, uh, wherever it happens to be auto parts farm doesn't matter the person working for you or working to make a living doesn't shouldn't matter where they were born as long as they can get the job done and if they're doing the job um you know that seems to be uh healthy for the economy and healthy for uh peace all the way around all right i think i've gone on long enough moving on headline utilitarians the freedom movement in america today can be divided into two main camps, deontological and utilitarian. The former tends to be in the favor of the age-old natural rights tradition, while the latter judges the effectiveness of the freedom movement in terms of how much prosperity it leads to. While it is rather easy to adopt the latter position, rooted in the argument that human humans naturally tend to judge actions by their effectiveness in improving their own happiness, the utilitarian doctrine has its flaws, and one fundamental flaw in regards to the state. I should first note that the utilitarianism itself has nothing to say in regards to the state or the freedom movement. Cut and dried, utilitarianism is a moral doctrine that simply aims at the maximization of happiness. It says nothing as to how this can be achieved and to what extent certain political frameworks maximize happiness. One could be an anarchist or a statist and still see that utilitarianism fits within their respective political framework. Utilitarianism is a voluntarist framework in a voluntarist framework could certainly oppose the natural rights tradition in the following manner. Individuals will avoid committing crimes not because they fear that they will violate someone's natural rights, but rather because they will come to realize that committing more crimes leads to an overall decrease in happiness. Thus, they will support individualism and non-aggression on the basis that it will help increase overall happiness in society, not because they think that humans have certain inalienable rights. This notion attempts to imply that the idea of natural rights is widely ignored by most people. The implication is that natural rights holds no power to prevent crime, because they are simply only a proclamation of rights. Thus, the only basis that would encourage people to act in favor of liberty and non-aggression would be one that is utilitarian, i.e. one that would lead to consequences initiated through a call-and-response mechanism. While there are numerous objections one can make towards the notion of natural rights, I will not examine natural rights here. 
To gain a better understanding of the utilitarian voluntarist mindset, let's examine the historicity, historical authenticity of the state. It should be noted that the state is a relatively modern concept. To say that any political apparatus in any given time period is a state is rather anachronistic. In reality, the state is a complex order and can't be defined as adhering to a single plank. Luigi Bassani and Carlo Lottieri have written an excellent essay titled The Problem of Security, Historicity of the State and European Realism on the subject of defining the state considering its historicity. I'm going to have trouble with that word the whole time, aren't I? One characteristic that the state embodies, albeit not the only characteristic that defines it as a state, is the idea of suppressing negative externalities that arise from crime. It is said that crime is a detriment to the whole of society and hence some sort of scheme ought to be devised to protect the collective population from such negative externalities as fear, potential disorder, accidental chaos, etc. Again, utilitarianism itself says nothing in regards to this matter, and certainly not all utilitarians would view the matter in such a way. But it can be reasonably reasonably derived that utilitarians would view crime as a societal problem that decreases overall happiness. One ought to look into the juridical, juridical protocols of the Middle Ages, before the emergence of the state and see that conflict resolving would be kept strictly to the confines of the parties involved in a conflict. If A committed a crime against B, the administration of justice would be strictly focused on these two parties. Conflicts would be resolved peacefully between involved parties and no one else. As Luigi Bassani and Carlo Lottieri note in the Middle Ages, redress was done from the point of view of the victim, never of a supposedly wounded collectivity. Jailing is a common mechanism used to suppress the so-called negative crime externality. Upon examining both the doctrine of utilitarians and the historicity of the state, we see a parallel. The view that crime would create a negative externality which only brings about disutility to the collective population. Now the issue gets more complicated in the case of the utilitarian voluntarist. The utilitarian voluntarist would likely view the state as overall anti-utilitarian, i.e., the benefit derived from its suppression of the crime externality does not exceed the cost inflicted on society through other state programs. He will thus not condone the state. The main point I want to underscore through this analysis is that the connection between utilitarianism and the historicity of the state creates a very murky foundation for the freedom movement. While utilitarianism itself is again not directly linked to the idea of the state being a suppressor of the crime externality, it is reasonable to say that some utilitarians would see the state as beneficial based on this premise. If the utilitarian voluntarist saw a reason to condone the state, no matter how small the scope of intervention, this could bring in many unwarranted interventions. There would simply be nothing to safeguard the rights of individuals at all times in the long term. Uh, end of the article. Uh, within this view, I definitely fall more with within the deontological uh, mindset uh, to the point where even uh, a buddy of mine once gave me the title of Knight of Arduous Virtue. Uh, for my my starch adherence uh, to, to moral codes, uh, you know that being mostly being the uh, you know the, the voluntarism and the non-aggression principle, uh, in all situations, if at all possible, and even when put on the spot, uh, as what would you do if you were on an island thirsting for water and there was one guy selling bottles for millions of dollars and you were broke? 
would you die? And he answered, no, I wouldn't die. I would, I would steal the water and survive. Um, but I would never, ever, ever consider that a moral act or a righteous act or that I did not violate him in some way. Um, so the violation of the moral code is different uh, in, my, in my mind um, than altering the moral code uh, to suit your needs uh, so you can continue telling others and yourself that you're a moral person. Um, when it comes to the utilitarian position uh, that, that, you know, some people have, th- this is another thing, right? Like they'll make arguments, um, and I, I'm sure I covered a bunch of them in articles throughout, you know, the, the course of this show. But there's always good, there's always good reasons to support uh, non-aggression and to, to uh, advocate against the, the formation of the state and, and, you know, the political party and all that other stuff. There's always good reasons. Um, but th- those reasons aren't necessarily rooted in principle. Uh, they're, they're rooted in like the outcomes, like it would be better if this, right? Economically, you know, the Austrian school of economics uh, is not necessarily um, a moral code for how economics should be. It's, it's basically the utilitarian um, principles or the, the utilitarian outcomes of, uh, of structuring your economics absent a state. Right. It would be better for everyone involved uh, if, if the state were not involved in business matters, right, in, in economics. Uh, but and, and, and some of the authors, of course, have, have rooted that in morality, which is fine. Um, but it, it, it does not need to be rooted that way. Uh, so the, the utilitarian aspect always seems to me uh, to come across from um, single party voters or, you know, uh, you know one issue libertarians. Or you know what I, what I uh, have described in the past is like the the yeah buts uh, that people have. Um, yeah, I agree with you, but in this one particular case of this one particular issue that's really important to me, um, we need the state to control it, right? You know, the, uh, a lot of the other podcasts that I listen to are, are technology related, so they go like, well, private property is fine, but. You know, in the in the area of technology, we need regulations. Otherwise, the big corporate monopolies take over. And go well, the big corporate monopoly. They they don't ask the next question. They don't they don't want to understand further. uh, You know that the big corporate monopolies taking over is is created by the state in and of itself, right? We go go back to the border question um, from earlier, right? If the state doesn't create the problem, you don't need the state to solve it. Right, <laughs> one precedes the other, uh, and and you can go down that rabbit hole as for any issue as far down as you want to go. Um, but if we can get to a point where we can convince people that the ideas of non-aggression, that the ideas of voluntarism, that you know the the anarch the anarchist society, the anarchist experience, is the proper way to live based on a a moral and ethical code um, rather than outcomes. I think we have a better chance of convincing people of that. Um, not to mention, right? Like I've always, uh, the other thing I've always said is, uh, damn the outcomes. I don't care what the outcomes are. And did I do what's right? right? I don't care. I don't care if, if the, you know, entire society is made, uh, more happy, uh, by sacrificing a virgin to a volcano, right? You don't, you don't do that. Uh, you don't, you don't sacrifice the individual for the sake of the collective. It just, it should never happen. And any society structured based on the ideas um, where that we were looking at collective happiness and we can sacrifice the individual happiness of, you know, of people uh, or in smaller numbers um, because, you know, the, the greater good is, is much more important uh, than I don't want to be a part of that. 
right? I don't, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to associate myself uh, with that line of thinking. I don't want to be a part of that society. I, I will extricate myself as much as possible uh, from from that viewpoint. And because I, again, for me personally, it's a stronger it's a stronger line of moral codes and moral ethics uh, that I hope prevents me from acting in such a way. Now, again. You know, it's if you have if you're the one issue libertarians, right? And they go like, well, he's good. This particular politician, like, is good in this area, uh, like right now, right, right now in the middle of this election cycle, it's liber- it, You know, it was libertarians for Trump the last time around, uh, and this time it's like libertarians for Tulsi Gabbard, right? Because because she's anti-war, uh, allegedly, right? Like we we need her because she's anti-war um, and will pardon. Um, you know, some political prisoners, uh, not, you know, not even bringing up the fact of of all the other issues, um, that she's going to be terrible in, uh, you know, be, you know, just in general, um, they, they just like, well, we have to get her in because she's the only one that on these particular issues that matter to me, I am willing to sacrifice, uh, individual rights, individual liberties, um, to her basically, uh, in order to get these, uh, get these other people free in this one issue taken care of. Now, where, where's the, and, and if, if a candidate steps forward, right, that will do all that. And then some, and be more libertarian, uh, be more anarchistic, uh, right. Be, be more freedom loving, um, but runs under the wrong party banner, uh, like the libertarian party, um, then, then they don't have a chance, right? We're, we're not willing to put our efforts behind, uh, anyone who might have a chance simply because of, you know, these other, uh, this, this, this one person has a better shot, uh, even though the, she's bad on like 95% of the issues, the 5% that she's good at that I like, uh, gives her the chance. Um, now me personally, I'm on the other side of that, right? Like, you know, you, you show me the candidate and you tell me if they're a hundred percent, you know, uh, freedom oriented, uh, liber- like the, the, you know, I moved here and they're like, Oh no, there, there's anarchists in office. There are anarchist, anarchist politicians. And I went, oh, I'll fucking believe that when I see it. Like, I don't, you know, uh, uh, no true Scotsman fallacy, if you will, but no real anarchist would seek public office, um, legitimately. Right. I've, always, I've again made the claim that it can, the, that system, uh, can be used for education and satire. Um, but not for, not for seriously thinking that you can run the lives or take control of other people. Um, but when, you know, when approached, uh, you know, by these, by these people like, well, this, this candidate is good on this issue and you should support them because, you know, they're good. They're very Liberty friendly, um, more so than all the other candidates. I go, well, what, what issues are they not Liberty friendly on? And then no, right. If they're not, if they're not liberty friendly, if they're not freedom oriented on all the issues, I'm not going to support them. I want, I want hundred percent freedom, hundred percent liberty that uh, you can use the political process to get us there if you choose. Um, but I'm not compromising principles, morals, and ethics in, in order to support candidates that aren't hundred percent all the way. Right. If they, if they, if they want the state existing for some purpose, uh, they're too much of a status to garner my support. Right. If they're if they're if they're anarchist in nature, in nature, uh, freedom oriented, liberty loving, they want the state out of everyone's lives uh, and they simply be happening to be using politics as a tactic, as a tool uh, to realize that goal. And they're not going to, you know, suppress 
individuals or, you know, oppressed individuals and, you know, through taxation or violence or otherwise, um, then maybe, maybe we can talk. But I have yet, I have yet to have that conversation with that politician or candidate. I have yet to see one of those people, um, you know, for office. And, and it just seems to me that there's always, there's always an issue where they go like, well, yeah, but right. Yeah. Yeah. You hundred percent freedom and liberty is a good thing. Uh, but in these particular areas, uh, the state is still necessary. And I go, well, you get out of here just the same then and leave me alone. Um, cause I want no part of you or your campaign. Um, because I'm a, I'm an all issues voter, uh, not a single issue voter. And I haven't come across a candidate uh, that, you know, I can back on all issues all the time or that I believe would be uh, freedom oriented and liberty oriented and anarchistic in mind uh, all the time, uh, which is, you know, if I needed another reason, which would be the reason why I don't support candidates and I don't vote. Right. You, you can take that aspect of 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 gaining freedom and stick it um, as far as I'm concerned. Right. You, you can work well. You, you go protest and do all that fun stuff and wave signs. Uh, I'm not right. My, my protest is and always will be a tax protest. I do my best to withhold fundings from that organization uh, as much as I can, as best I can, as often as possible. Um, and that's you know, that's that's my contribution. Right. Lead by example, uh, regardless of how many people follow me. Now, if you follow me and you don't, you know, you do your best to withhold your taxes uh, from from paying the state, and you do your best to support uh, businesses that don't charge you a tax and you know don't don't report you uh, to those people, and you work for uh, work for individuals who will pay you cash under the table, or you contract with them, uh, or you know if if you're an independent contractor, sort of thing to get paid like that, uh, by all means, right? Keep up the good work, keep up the good fight. Uh, because that's, you know, that's leading by example, that's following uh, the, the good example being led, right? And, 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 and for me, that's it, right? The, the more people tax protesting, the more people uh, not willing to give in to the course of measure of the state, uh, the easier it will be for us, especially in, in a community um, with larger numbers than just about any other uh, liberty-minded community in the world, um, if that tactic can work, well, then all we need is the numbers. And it's always going to be a numbers game uh, for that to work. Uh, politics, maybe not, right? Because if you get, you, you get enough of the votes, you get a handful of the votes, um, and then you can impress everybody with whatever issue you want. Um, but to resist that takes numbers, which is why uh, tax protesting, again, in my opinion, sounds like a broken record, but I'll reiterate it one more time, is the only form of legitimate protest. You, you starve the beast, um, and then you defend yourself when they come knocking violently uh, to get their cut, right? Uh, you, you want me to participate in the political process? Bring back tar and feathering, and maybe you'll see me out there with some, you know, with, with some tar uh, and some pillows, uh, pillow feathers, right? Like that'll, that'll be the fun times for me. Until we get to that point, right? Withhold your taxes, stay low, uh, you know, don't put your neck too high up there because why would, why would I want to be the martyr for those people, right? I don't want to be the martyr. I just want to live on the underground uh, and, and skate on by unmolested as much as I can and as best I can. Moving on. Headline, flimsy justifications to restrict your freedom. Uh, when I was a boy, my mother and father often put me put to me a version of a question that parents throughout the ages have put to their children. If everybody jumped off the Mississippi River Bridge, 
would you jump to? Of course, I was asked this rhetorical question whenever I took some inadvisable course of action and sought to excuse it on the grounds that all my friends did it. Even as even a young child understands without need of further elaboration that no action is rendered acceptable simply because lots of other people do it. This vital piece of wisdom, however, is often forgotten by adults when the discussion turns to public policy. A common justification for destructive government interventions such as minimum wages, mandated paid leave, protectionism, export subsidies, and government-run health care is the indisputable fact that most other governments intervene in these ways. While awareness of the frequency or infrequency of some practice is relevant when judging the wisdom of that practice, such awareness is never sufficient. Human experiences is filled with common practices that are inadvisable. And because governments, unlike individuals, are in the business of compulsion rather than persuasion, we should be especially reluctant to jump from the observation that be, that some government practice is widespread to the conclusion that the benefit of that practice exceeds its costs. Nearly everything that is possible will never occur. Every government does it is not the only weak justification for government intervention. Another weak justification is one that I call the in theory X is possible justification. Examples include in theory, a tariff that raises the standard of living of everyone in the country is possible. And in theory, mandated paid leave that helps some workers without harming others is possible. Well, yes, just as in theory, jumping off the New Orleans bridge, spanning the Mississippi river and not only surviving, but enjoying a good swim is possible. Uh, any moderately clever person can describe possible conditions under which I might improve my well-being by jumping from a high bridge into the mighty Mississippi. If I hit the water just right, if I somehow avoid the many strong undercurrents that would drown me by pulling me beneath the surface, if a rescue boat happens to be close by, if my physical stamina, strength, and ability to swim are in peak form, if, 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 yes, my surviving such a dive is indeed possible. But no sensible person would leap from an acknowledgement of this theoretical possibility to conclusion that most people should routinely jump from high bridges into rivers. The fact is, almost everything in that is in theory is possible is in reality highly implausible. And further, much that is plausible remains in reality improbable. Economic journals and textbooks are stuffed with demonstrations of the theoretical possibility of the likes of optimal tariffs that enrich the nation, minimum wages hikes that don't decrease the employment of low-skilled workers, antitrust actions that improve the economy, and even central planning by governments that produce outcomes superior to those of free markets. But because the conditions required in reality for any of these theoretical possibilities to hold are so precise and implausible, and in some cases downright bizarre, these mere possibilities are poor justifications for government intervention. Faux experts. Yet another commonly encountered but very weak rationale for government action is experts say. The economy isn't a machine that needs fine-tuning by expert social engineers. Instead, the economy is a vast array of detailed commercial interactions of millions of individuals, each pursuing his or her own goals, and each with his or her unique bits of knowledge. For example, no one other than me knows whether or not I value an extra $300 of monthly income more than the I value an extra day each month of paid leave. 
Likewise, no one other than my neighbor knows her preference of the, on this front, a preference that likely differs from my own. Nevertheless, we are bombarded today with reports of self-styled experts who assert, despite their ignorance of people's preferences, that the amount of pay leave currently supplied on the market is inadequate. But because there is no compelling reason to believe that market exchanges consistently prevent workers from adequately prompting employer, employers to take suitable account of workers' preferences for paid leave, all such expert assertions of inadequate paid leave are unwarranted. Put differently, the only expert on the amount of paid leave that is best for me is me. And the only expert on the amount of paid leave that is best for you is you. No professor, no think tank scholar, no pundit, and no politician has as much knowledge of workers' preferences as do each of the workers themselves. Therefore, any and all assertions that experts have determined the government should take steps to increase paid leave ought to be disregarded. For such assertions, in fact, aim to impose the preference of people who are, in fact, non-experts over the preferences of the true experts, namely, each worker. There are many other flimsy justifications offered by government offered for government intervention, but if even only these justifications were heard with greater skepticism, the world would be freer, more prosperous, and more civilized. Uh, end of the article. This is yet another uh, advocation for individual choices within the larger scope of the market. Right? No matter no matter what you want the government to do. Uh, other people may not, which is another reason why I find it difficult uh, for liberty-friendly individuals, or again, anarchists, uh, since I like that term better, uh, to advocate voting, right? Because it's, it's, it's an imposition of your preference over that of other people, uh, regardless of whether or not your position wins, right? It's, it, how do I explain this? Uh, if... Or it's disingenuous. That's the other part of that. It's either that or it's disingenuous. If if you're you know if you say like well voting doesn't matter, uh, and therefore my casting my vote doesn't impact the way that I live right. Like I, if if my team loses, I'm not going to follow the rules, right? Then your vote is disingenuous uh, because if your team won, you would expect the other team to follow the rules, right? That that you're now imposing. Um, and so it's, it's, it's either, you know, a, a, an imposition of preference or disingenuous. And if you vote expecting the other team, uh, to, to follow your rules, right. And then they don't, right. Then you can't be mad uh, at that outcome either. Right. So it's, it's, it's wholly pointless. It's wholly pointless at best. Um, and at worst, it's a, it's an imposition of preference, uh, over, over your fellow man, your fellow individual. Um, and since, you know, most all laws passed is some limitation, some restriction uh, on freedoms and liberties that you already enjoy, uh, it's never a good thing to put those people in charge to pass laws, right? When the articles come out and this is like, you know, Congress has not passed, this is the do lame duck do nothing Congress, they haven't passed a single law all session. It's like, great, right? They're, they're not infringing as much <laughs> this go round. Um, and when they passed a bunch of laws, like was the, the latest I saw was, you know, the, the uh, smoking age in Texas is going up to 21, right? So that's that's now a thing, right? They, you know, I think Hawaii, um, when I was there, might have been the first place to do it, um, but it's sprouting up everywhere, 
right? You, you, you know, the, the, uh, the smoking age is catching up to the drinking age, um, and more, more freedoms are lost, right? I've had, I've Friends who overnight went from being able to buy their own pack uh, to now needing a chaperone uh, to, to, to get their cigarettes again. And that's going to happen now down in Texas, right? So more, more laws equals less freedom uh, all the time. Now, does that mean that some law, all laws are bad? No. The, 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 you know, the, anything that prevents uh, any, any act that limits the freedom of another person um, should be inherently illegal, immoral, uh, unethical, wrong, uh, and and there should be natural consequences to that, right? If, if you know, and so I'm not I'm not anti-violence, right? I'm if if you if you restrict the life, liberty, or property of somebody else, uh, I'm I'm all for violent befalling you as a deterrent, um, and as a as, and as a repercussions along with you know having to pay them back for whatever you did, right? If you steal this stuff, you you owe them something, um, and. and we can do whatever we it, it takes um, to take that out of your ass if necessary, um, but when done by the state for you know the greater good of society, while restricting the individual liberties and the individual freedoms of you know of people throughout that society, uh, then we have to we have to draw the line there and say no, right? No, we are not we're not going to impose our preference. On the entire population, simply because what we deemed to be good is in fact good, right? What what we think is righteous and moral um, is in fact righteous and moral for everybody. There's you know there's no there's no universal preference um, f- for for most of that, right? And like if you, if you want to if you want to bring up universally preferable behavior, sure, right? I, I I've read it. I can I can get behind most of that. Um, but I think though that is larger ethics and not you know not situational preferences, right? Like the article brings up mandated paid leave and um, you know jumping off the bridge and, and all that. Uh, that's individual preferences at work, right? There's there's no universal um, there's no universal standard for for how much you know how many hours a week you should work, what hours of the day you should work, uh, how much paid leave you should get off, how much you know vacation time you get off. Um, even even with me, right? I work way too much, um, and I hate thinking about going to work until I get there. And then I get there, and I kind of ease in, and I enjoy it, right? So I'm like, I'm a, I consider myself like a reluctant workaholic. Uh, but M likes to go on vacations and travel and do all that. So her work preferences is way different than mine. Um, and if there was some law mandating that I couldn't work as much or that she had to work more, um, simply because some expert decided that to be so, well there would obviously be a problem, right? There would be, there'd be a problem for her, a problem for me, uh, and a problem for the expert when, when I got my hands on him, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, any, any justification, um, any, not even flimsy, any justification to restrict the, the freedoms and liberties of, of another individual, um, should be viewed at, uh, you know, with a skeptical eye and then advocated against in damn near every situation. Uh, you know, big, bigger real crimes and, you know, again, infringements on liberties uh, being the exception. Moving on. Here's a good one. Don't forget the Galt's Gulch tactic. Uh, shrug off the government. It is not your duty to prop up a corrupt and immoral system. In fact, it might be your duty to deny it your support. That was the main message of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, although it took her about 23,000 times as many words to say it. 
In Atlas Shrugged, the very capable and productive Dagny Taggart couldn't leave America behind. She'd sla- she slaved away to support the masses and the politicians, even as they ridiculed and hated her for it. Escaping to Galt's Gulch and leaving all the parasites behind should always be an option on the table. In this secret and shielded valley, everyone works to, for their own benefit and the benefit of those they trade with. Today, so many people put so much stake in who's president and what the majority of Americans will vote for every two years. They are hopelessly drawn into the gravitational pull of the system, and they don't consider escape an option. Some say it's cowardice to run away from our problems rather than staying, sacrificing, and fighting for American values. Uh, Why not just take your American values and go somewhere you can actually practice them? The American dream will always exist. It just might not always exist in America. What are American values anyway? I understand the desire to restore something that once so great to all its prior glory. But there really isn't much agreement on what American values really are. From the very beginning, events like the U.S. government's response to the Whiskey Rebellion stomped all over the constitutional rights literally just enshrined in the Bill of Rights. And just after the Civil War, Lysander Spooner observed that the Constitution has either authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. I don't really think perpetuating American values rests on restoring the Constitution. I do think it was a pretty good founding document and helped create the most prosperous nation ever. But American values, to me, are all about fresh starts. That's how New England was settled. Roger Williams set the standard for the New World when he first left England in search of rebellious free, uh, religious freedom. When he didn't find it in the established settlements in Massachusetts, William left, Reed fled, and founded Rhode Island and the Providence Plantations. The settlement lived peacefully with the Native Americans, championed religious tolerance, and became a haven for outcasts who wanted personal freedom. The founders of the United States of America didn't stay in England and try to bring back common law and separation of powers. They went somewhere else and started new. They combined elements of the old from Rome to England with a new style of governance. And those are American values that are important. Always striving to create something better while starving the tyrants of your support. Government is a product. If you're not happy with the product, you have to stop supporting it. Easier said than done when it comes to government. Uh, We can't simply opt out of taxes and say no thank you to its service. But you can, for instance, move abroad and earn over $100,000 a year tax-free with the foreign earned income tax credit. You'll find many expat communities resemble Galt's Gulch. They end up enriching the entire area of their new homeland and spreading free market values all over the globe. By the end of this year, I plan to move to Puerto Rico. Their self-employed, independent contractors, consultants, and owners of export service businesses can pay just 4% tax to Puerto Rico and absolutely zero to the IRS. There are more exit options every day. The market for alternatives is only growing. It has been since 1776. And it's about more than refusing to fund the corrupt and parasitical U.S. government. This is about finding a place to live your life how you see fit, surrounded by people who build you up instead of tear you down. To me, those are American values. Those are worth fighting for, and they will flourish around the globe with or without the USA. You don't have to play by the rules of the corrupt politicians, manipulative media, and brainwashed peers. End of the article. And I'd say, uh, for the most part, yeah. Uh, the, only, the only thing I disagree with uh, in that is that you, you can starve the tax man right now. You, you can refuse to pay and simply opt out. And don't say no thank you. Just 
don't say anything, right? <laughs> let, let, let them figure it out uh, without your help. You just, you just do what you can to stop paying. Uh, again, find, find a hobby that pays, a, you know, a, a hustle, if you will, something on the side uh, to get some of that money uh, on the underground and build, build up that side business uh, outside the watchful eye of the Internal Revenue Service as best you can and deal with people who won't turn you in to them, right? Like deal with like-minded individuals um, who will help to protect you, uh, you know, in, in some form or fashion from that by by not claiming it, right? If you do work for somebody, you're like, oh, well, well, I need to write it off, so I need to send you forms and IRA. No, I, no thank you then. Uh, I, either, I either do the work and you pay me cash and that's the end of transaction or we, you know, we go our separate ways. Uh, and I know uh, even though MC is not here, he has brought up Puerto Rico. He looked into it uh, at one point as a way to to uh, migrate away uh, from the the burden of the U.S. federal government, right? And and to get away and get the tax savings and tax benefits of living and operating um, his 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 businesses in Puerto Rico. Um, not that he's made the move, not that he's planning to, but it's it's always an option, right? Bef- before. Uh, joining the Free State Project, of which I did make the move for, right? There was a handful of other things, right? There was, you know, there was the the other big one on the table that still um, does something, right? Is the 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 Seasteading Institute? I was like, I was all about that. There was a, a lifeboat phenomenon type of thing as well, where you you know it's a houseboat that you just float off into the ocean. So there's lots of other, um, you know, and and you know there's a there's some. There's a page like the Move Here Project where this idea is operational just about everywhere you can think. Um, where, where, but it's mostly it's a lot of a lot of the other Move Here projects are people who like the idea of uh, bringing like-minded individuals around, uh, but don't want to move themselves. Right? They want everyone to move close to them and help them because that's their home. Um, and I've I've never really been about that. Right? We, you you point me in the direction of freedom and liberty. Um, and as long as I believe that I can make something happen there, uh, off we go, right? That, that's why I moved, you know, all the way over here. Um, that's why I'm still, you know, pay attention to what's going on the, uh, on the seasteading projects. Um, uh, that's why this article mentioned Galt's Gulch. Uh, that's why I paid attention and, you know, I'm a member on the Facebook page of, of the, um, the one being built in Chile, right? Like I, I considered it, right? It was, it was a thing for a while. Uh, and I'm still, I'm, and I'm still following it because I'd like to see what happens. I want to see where it goes. I want to know um, what, where those people are going to be and what they're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, if, you, if you're thinking like, why don't I help? Um, well, because that's not my area of expertise, man. I'm not, I'm not a community builder. I'm not, you know, I'm not handy, uh, as it were, with, you know, with that sort of thing. Um, so I don't know where I could pitch in. But if, if moving there is an option, if, you know, if, if. Uh, financial donations and contributions are an option, um, then, then maybe we can talk about it. But right now, that's that doesn't seem to be feasible uh, for me in, in, to to assist in that respect. But I'm always paying attention. If they go like we're up and running, uh, we need people to move in, and I go like let's let's see what can happen. Like you know, I made the I made the move here. You know, saved up a little bit, made the move, uh, got on my feet fairly quickly as far as you know earning an income and integrating into the community. So it's it can be done. Um, just, you know, just figure out where it is you want to be. Um, and if you want to be around that type of people, find out where they exist. And for me, uh, the, the one that stood out the most was the Free State Project. And so that's where I ended up. Uh, all right. 
I think that might be it. I pulled up a lot more articles. I thought this was going to take a lot longer. Uh, but that'll do it for me. I'm pushing it on my time limit here. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, you know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash theanarchistexperience. Contribute to Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to y'all in a few weeks. All right, right? I'm entering the announcements at the beginning of the show, a little bit of house cleaning, uh, gone for the next few weeks uh, while we attend pork fork fest pork fest um and then maybe if you know if we get back from pork fest early enough um or we decide not to go on the weekend then i'll i'll slap together uh, another uh show hopefully with mc because he might be back from mongolian by then but it's all up in the air but uh do not fret uh once once the festival season has concluded uh we will be back uh peace